0: And today I'm gonna talk about a controversial topic when it comes to the Holy Spirit. You might not agree with me when this service is over. That's okay. You might not agree with me one stitch, one iota. I'm gonna tell you what we believe and why. I'm gonna give you examples from scripture. And if we have a need to reconcile something later on, we can, but you know, there are things in the scriptures, things in the Bible that sometimes are hard to understand. There are things in the Bible at times that we look at and we go, I don't know if I understand or like that or wanna deal with that. In fact, there's one such statement where Jesus said, you need to drink my blood and eat my flesh. And a bunch of his followers went, nope, I'm out. That was too far. And they left. He even looked at his disciples and said, is that going to be you too? And they were like, we're going to stay. We've been staying this far. We don't really know what you mean, but we're going to hope it's going to work out. And it worked out pretty well. We understand that Jesus took took the feast of Passover. He remade it into this covenant contract that we now know as communion, and so we understand that he wasn't talking about his literal blood and flesh, but that he turned that into something different. Well, the same thing is true this morning when we talk about the idea of speaking in tongues. It's one of those things you could hear and go, oh, time out, that's like weird, kooky, religious stuff. I'm heading for the back door. Well, hold on for a while. I think we can come to some kind of reconciliation in terms of agreement, at least on some things when uh, we work through this topic. It is something that is somewhat controversial. There's folks out there, good Christian people, big, massive churches and movements of God who say, I don't agree with that. I don't agree that that's for today. And that's okay They have that right. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse eight through 10. This is the scripture where things commonly get messed up and goofed up when, it, when we talk about the idea of speaking in tongues. In fact, I'll say this, many times there's a a doctrinal issue in regard to something we believe as Christians from one Christian group to the next. It generally is because there's a contextual disagreement with what's being said. So let me give you an example. Paul, he wrote a couple of letters to this guy named Timothy. And in one letter he told Timothy, hey, women, don't talk in church. And, And you could take that super literal, like you come through those doors, you're silent, mama. Now that's not exactly what Paul was saying. In fact, Paul was speaking to a specific group of women, and those women were part of a temple called Diana, where in that temple, those women thought they were above men. They thought that they ruled, like they were men were subservient to women, Paul was trying to correct the doctrine. He said, listen, ladies, you need to be quiet for a while in quiet submission to the word, because they wanted to teach. They wanted to teach their doctrine. He said, time out, time out, time out. You don't really get this whole Jesus thing yet. I'm glad you've accepted Jesus, but we have Judeo roots and we've got to retrain you. So he said, quietly sit in subjection to the word. Then he, then he corrects their doctrine. Eve wasn't born first, Adam was. And he lays out the whole, the whole idea of, uh, of the creation story. He still gives the concept that that there's a centrality to male leadership in the gospel, which we believe that, but he doesn't say that women are under men in the the sense that they're totally subservient. So he kind of puts them on somewhat equal playing field and then he's correcting a doctrine. So he isn't saying that women are never allowed to teach, barring them to teach or talk in a church forever. He's just saying until you get your doctrine fixed, then you need to be quiet for a while. So that doctrine, that scripture, has actually been a point of contention for many, many, many churches. In fact, to today, there are some churches that don't believe it's okay to have a woman in leadership to any degree. That's their prerogative. I would say from the contextual reading of the scripture, they misinterpret some things. And you might argue with me and say, no, they got it right on. Well, that's okay. We're gonna move on for their context for today is the idea of speaking in tongues. Is it a valid gift? So what is speaking in tongues? Well, we'll get to that in a second too. But is it even valid for today? Before we even understand what it is, doesn't the Bible say like we're not supposed to do that? Well, first let's recap. We believe that we have two experiences, two defining experiences Christians. We have a born again experience where we accept Jesus right, into our life. Subsequent to that is baptism, where we go under the water, we come up new as a public demonstration to the people that we know and around us and that love us, that we are a uh, new creation, that we've been born again. And then there's this other side to it that happened to Jesus right after baptism, it happened to Paul and his ministry, The apostles waited for this different manifestation to happen of the Holy Spirit in the upper room where the Holy Spirit came on them. Some people have termed that the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Some people have said it's the filling of the Holy Spirit. I don't care what term you wanna use, but it is secondary. You've got the Holy Spirit, at salvation, all of the Holy Spirit. But there's a different point in our our life where we submit our life to the yielding of the Holy Spirit, where we are yielded to the work, we are yielded to the manifestation, we are yielded to the voice and prompting of the Holy Spirit, two different things. Some of them happen, sometimes it happens on purpose. Sometimes people at, at, at salvation are like, yes, God move in any way you need to, I have a context for who the Holy Spirit is, and I'm gonna let him move in my life. Other times they need to be trained and taught in fact, even in the New Testament, there were the, uh, the folks going around and spreading the good news of the church and folks had heard about Jesus and a few group, a small group went up to some folks who had heard about Jesus and they said, have you heard of the Holy Spirit? Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And they're like, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And so it started a whole new conversation. So there's, there's two different things we can look at. The, 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 the idea of being saved and allowing Jesus to be Lord of our life and the infilling of the Holy Spirit at that point because the Holy Spirit's part of it. But then there's the yielding to the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit comes on us and over us, just like he did for Jesus, just like he did for Paul, just like he did for the apostles. So I wanted to first recap for a moment, excuse me. More and more people are shying away though from this idea of tongues because it's hard to deal with. It's something that can be contentious. You can lose members over it, and I hope we wouldn't do anything like that. uh, Folks think that it's just a bunch of crazy folks talking. They're just talking and blabbing and and just saying things off the top of their head that make absolutely no sense. There's folks that believe that anyone that speaks in tongues through the gift of the Holy Spirit only does so because they're weak-minded. They haven't studied the Scripture and they really don't know their Bible. Well, today, we're gonna approach it from a very intellectual point of view. I want you to keep your mind open. I want you to look at the scriptures we're referencing, and we'll even dig deep into some of the Greek. But the reason for that is I want you to understand that I don't want you to check your brain at the door and just think, well, the pastor said this is something we should believe in, so we have to. No, no, figure it out through the scripture. Find out what the scripture says first. Again, it's a topic that I believe is just neglected far too often when we talk about uh, the idea or the person of the Holy Spirit. So again, more and more people are, are just not, they're not addressing the topic. So let's start first with the people that don't agree with this idea. They're called sensationists or sensationism. It's a doctrinal belief that the spiritual gifts stopped ceased with the apostolic age so after the last apostle was dead there was no need for the gifts to be in operation the church had already grown enough had already spread enough through the known world that god didn't need to prove himself supernaturally on planet earth now that's in direct opposition to a group of folks that are called continuationists or continuing continuationism which teaches that the holy spirit does give spiritual and supernatural gifts to persons other than the original 12 disciples and other than the apostles anytime he wants to. So the biggest misunderstanding of this, con- of, of this concept comes here in 1 Corinthians 13, eight through 10. We're just gonna hit this bull head on. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and read with me. He says, love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away with. If there are gifts of tongues, they will cease. If there's knowledge, it will be done away with. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect has come, the partial will be done away with. Now you can stop right there and say, look, pastor, he said that tongues are gonna be over. So duh, why didn't you read the Bible? It's over. Come on, man. Well, I think we probably need to read things in context. If you keep going on to verse 11 and through verse 12, it says this, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. Uh, When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, I used to think as a child, I used to reason like a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will be known just as I am fully known. So remember, we have this key phrase. When the perfect is come, some of these things will be done away with. And I believe that wholeheartedly. But what we have to ask ourselves is, has the perfect, has the perfected nature of what the writer was talking about, has the perfection of the church or us as persons, has it come yet? Are we perfected? Is what Paul was speaking of, has it come? Uh, So there's a contextual issue there, right? The perfect nature of what God is speaking to, to eliminate the need for some of these supernatural instances, has that come? Well, I would say maybe not. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12, when he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I am fully known. That's key scripture. Again, same writer, writing in the same context, grouping all of these words into one paragraph. He's trying to elaborate on a doctrine that he's talking about. So if we read it in context, in, in, verse, or in chapter 13, uh, first we read love never fails. It's the one thing that's never gonna fail. So we love here on earth, we feel the Father's love in us and through us, we are motivated, we are anchored by love. All of those things are true, even when this world passes away and we find heaven as our home, love will still be the corner piece of all that we do. But he does say there are gifts of prophecy and they'll be done away with. There's tongues and it will cease. There's knowledge and it will be done away with. Well, there's a problem there. He says there's knowledge and it will be done away with. I have a problem with that. When we talk about this idea of something stopping or ceasing or the idea that we're in this perfected time and we don't need these gifts anymore because what he was alluding to, has that come? Has knowledge stopped? We have to ask ourselves the hard question. Has knowledge stopped? See, speaking in tongues is something that I think connects to the line of thinking that Paul was writing out. So has has knowledge come to its end you know you have to reconcile the bible with the bible so if you have your bibles go ahead and turn to daniel 12 and verse 4 and this was daniel's prophetic idea of the end of days or the end of time and he's closing his he's closing up some of the concepts some of the prophecies that he's reading through and that he's searching through and that he's getting downloaded on from the spirit of god and it says this but it's for you daniel Cease these words and seal up the book until the end of time. He says, many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Okay, got a problem here. Paul says knowledge is gonna stop, it's gonna be done away with. And then Daniel says, no, no, towards the end of time, knowledge is actually gonna increase. Let me me just take a a little bit of a, a curve here. Let me take a little rabbit trail for a second. Uh, Buckner Fuller, Buckminster Fuller developed this idea called the knowledge doubling curve. Human knowledge, gross human knowledge, doubles at certain rates. Until 1900, human knowledge doubled at approximately uh, every century. So every century, we doubled in the amass of knowledge that we had. By the end of World War II, our knowledge rate of doubling was every 25 years. Every 25 years, end of World War II, all that man could comprise as the world's knowledge was doubling every 25 years. Now, knowledge has taken a different turn. It's become more specialized. It's become more specific. We don't just have general humanities courses anymore. Even those courses have become incredibly specific. And so now with the advent of very specified knowledge, nanotechnology knowledge is doubling every two years. Clinical knowledge is doubling every 18 months. Clinicians are doubling in what they know, they're training their abilities every 18 months. So currently, on average, human knowledge is doubling every 13 months. That's hardly the idea that knowledge is done away with. As Paul was saying, there's knowledge, it's gonna stop. It's hardly the idea that knowledge, that knowing, that inspiration, of the Holy Spirit to develop and to see and to do more and to study and to explore. And just before that day comes, knowledge is gonna speed up, it's gonna increase. In fact, the Bible says as we read in Daniel that people are gonna go back and forth, back and forth, waffling back and forth, and that knowledge will increase. And I think we even see some of that happening today. I'm not a doomsday prophet and I don't wanna get into apocalyptic literature, but we can see it definitely increasing. So Paul meant that there would be a time after the earth had been remade, after heaven has come to earth, after Jesus sits on his throne, after we worship at the feet of God, that there'd be no use for some of these gifts. There's no need for a heavenly language that we don't understand physically in our physical human human form if the God of the universe is standing right in front of us. However he decides to converse with us, we're gonna get it. It's not like you're gonna have to go to heaven and take a crash course in Greek or Hebrew. It's not like you're gonna to have to go to heaven and take a crash course in Aramaic because that's what Jesus spoke in order to understand him. No, he's gonna to speak to us right where we're at, however he does it, and we're gonna get it. We're gonna understand it all. So tongues, speaking in tongues, I would say is only good while we're here on planet Earth. It's only for today, and I'll explain myself in just a minute. But the idea of speaking in tongues, the idea of this heavenly language coming from our human body, is only good here and now, it has no use in heaven. And so if you don't experience it here, that's okay. It doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. I don't want anyone to think that if you don't experience one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that that means that you're not going to heaven. You're going. If you trust in Jesus, if you believe in the person of Christ, if you've confessed him as Lord of your life, and if you've asked him to forgive you of your sins, you are going to heaven. Nothing else matters. Nothing else stands in the way. However, the Holy Spirit opens our life up to a new dimension. In fact, even when Paul was talking of his great chapter on love that's read at weddings all over the place, it's read at weddings all over the world, one of the lines there is, if I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but don't have love, what does he say? I'm nothing, right? A sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So Paul lines it out this way, he says, listen, I'm gonna peel back the idea of heaven for you for just a moment. And sometimes I love Paul and sometimes I don't because sometimes Paul says, hey, here's this really cool new idea. I'm gonna throw it at you and just let it stick and hope you figure it out. In fact, one day he says, "Their church is talking about how they treat each other and they're back and forth. And he says, don't you know, someday you're gonna judge angels and you wanna be like, what are you talking about, dude? No, I don't know. And he never talks about it again. And in this context, he says, listen, If you have the language of heaven, of angels, or on earth, if you pray in tongues or pray in the language of angels and in, in, in your native tongue, but you don't have love, you're nothing, you're a clanging cymbal or a dinging, ringing gong, Paul is giving us an idea that there's a heavenly language that we can actually be a part of. It's something supernatural. It's something sovereign of God. God gives it sovereignly but it's there available and open to us. So context matters when we talk about what the Bible says. So obviously the perfect has not come yet. We have not been made perfect. Nothing about this life is perfect. Nothing about what we're going through is perfect. Yet someday we will be perfected and we will see Jesus face to face. And in that moment, none of the spiritual stuff on earth is gonna matter because he's gonna bypass the human frailty that we have and move right into the Holy Spirit. So is the gift of tongues for today? I would say definitively yes. Now you might disagree with me. You know, the Bible doesn't say we have to be twins to be brothers. The Bible never says we have to look identical to be brothers. You can still fellowship with someone who has a different view than you have. In fact, concerning this view, I have a friend of mine who he does not believe at all. He's looked at these same scriptures. He reads them totally differently, and he does not believe that the gift of tongues is for today. However, his wife does. His wife absolutely believes it because she does it. She speaks in tongues. I was like, well, you don't have the experience, but I do. So sorry, you lose out. You know, they don't argue about it. In fact, she keeps it to herself and never in front of her husband does she speak in this heavenly language. She always does it in her own prayer time, in her own prayer closet by herself. Her husband's aware, but they don't fight over it. They're not They're not at each other's throat over it. They're not trying to prove something over on another person. So this shouldn't be a moment of contention where we say, I can't be a part of you or your fellowship or we can't be connected because I don't see it the way you do. We just disagree and that's okay, but I'm gonna keep going. So... Let's run to Romans chapter eight and verse 26. Here's the reason why tongues is available. The whole, if you say, well, why would God give us a heavenly language that we don't understand, that we can't comprehend? Why would he even do that? Romans chapter eight and verse 26 says, in the same way, the spirit also helps our weakness for we don't know how to pray as we should, but the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep. Four words right out of the Bible. I didn't make, I don't have a trick Bible. Yours says the same thing mine does, okay? So just so we're all understanding. Let's unpack Romans for a second. First, we understand that we have a weakness. We have a weakness, we have real weaknesses when we come to Christ or to the Holy Spirit. In fact, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to show us the weaknesses that we have so that he can give us power to overcome those weaknesses in the presence of the Holy Spirit, in the presence of God, so that we can overcome because his power is given to us. And so he says, listen, you have a weakness. You don't know how to pray sometimes. Sometimes you get caught and you don't even know the words you should be saying because of that weakness. I am gonna give you the Holy Spirit who's gonna intercede for you. He's gonna pray for you, on your behalf, through you, and it says groanings that are too big for words. Well, first of all, let, let me break this down for a second. This idea that we all have moments or impasses in life where we don't know what to pray for, we should all be like, yes, amen, that's definitely me. That's been me from time to time. In fact, there are things that happen in your life that you didn't even see coming, that God thwarted. And if you if you just were looking in the right direction, you would have seen God's handiwork. But we are so unaware of the 10,000 points of light that God is actually at work in our life from time to time. And it comes out many times through this prayer, this praying in the Spirit. In fact, I believe that there are moments where God uses His Spirit through us to pray out in unintelligible words, words we don't understand, Words we can't really make sense of, but he prays from the Holy Spirit in us to God the Father in heaven, and we don't see all that he's praying about. We don't see or understand, and it's mystical and it's mysterious, but it's practical and it's everyday. It's the idea that we could have metastasizing in our cells, cancer, but the Holy Spirit recognizes it, knows it, and prays through us to offset that cancer. That the Holy Spirit could see a dire straits issue in our marriage. an attitude that's building between a husband and a wife that could ruin them. Yet the Holy Spirit prays through and softens hearts and calms lives and so the marriage can be reunified. We don't always know how the Holy Spirit's praying when the Holy Spirit motivates us. So we read on that he speaks through us, the Holy Spirit intercedes with groanings. Now, That word groanings in the Greek is only used two times in the New Testament. So it gives us a very limited window on what the writer's actually talking about. In fact, it's the word uh, stegnogmos. Ugh, I'm having a hard time for this one today. Anyway, it's referenced in Acts 7. And verse 34, and it says this, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt and have heard their groans. This is God talking about his people. And if we review our history of the nation of Israel, they were in exile, they were out in Egypt, they were made to be slaves, they were serving a foreign government. They were beaten down, they were ostracized, they were shut out. And here, God says, I heard their groans. Now, we could look at that and say, that's just a moaning noise of a people who were oppressed. Well, unfortunately, if we read and understand the story of Israel, God says that in their groanings, He, and I, man, I don't have time to go through all these scriptures, but that He heard their individual cries. And in fact, what this verse is saying is not that He just heard their generic groans, but He heard their individual calls for help so that we can understand that this idea of groaning is an unintelligible word, something we don't understand. Yet God himself can make out the individual parts and pieces, that if we were to hear an entire nation groan as one, we wouldn't understand what they're saying. Yet God knows every single word spoken by every single person. This is what it is for the language of God, the language of heaven to be spoken through us in tongues. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 2, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there as well. But we have to understand, unintelligible to human ears, unintelligible to us. Now, it's just not the repetitive of the same thing. You know, who stole my Honda, untied my bow tie. That's not what I'm talking about where God will motivate within us words to say, things to say, and we might not understand them. Now there's a difference also in scripture, we'll talk about this next week, that there's a gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues where uh, words are spoken out of our mouth and we don't understand the language but somebody else understands it clearly and we understand from the book of Acts that the people that were in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit, that they were given power, they go down to the city streets, they speak something out, a language they don't understand. The folks in the streets hear the message of the gospel through what was being said and a thousand people come to Jesus. That's not the same thing as what we're talking about here. We're talking about individual usage where God is saying to you, the Holy Spirit is going to work through you and he's not even claiming that there's going to be an interpretation he's just saying because you don't know how to pray god's going to give you a language within you motivated of the holy spirit that you're going to pray straight to heaven first corinthians chapter 14 and verse 2 for one who speaks in tongues or tongue does not speak to men but to god for no one understands but in the spirit he speaks mysteries Okay, so referencing the scripture we just we just did earlier in Romans, referencing the idea that we saw in Acts of the groanings or words that are compilation or jumbled words that we can't make sense of, but God understands each individual consonant and sound so that he can intelligently look to what the people are calling out to. The same thing here where we have in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 2, the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he, may, he speaks mysteries. Again, the Bible's saying that you don't know what to pray, but God's gonna pray through you. There are mysteries that God's praying through you. There are things that you're not privy to, that God's praying through you. There are moments in time you don't know what to pray, how to pray, but God can pray through you. He can unleash the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to overtake you in a way that what is our natural means of communication bypasses our reasoning and goes straight to heaven. And the Bible, again, as we can reference through Paul, though I speak with the tongue of men and angels, that there's a heavenly language that we're not aware of and that we're lucky enough that God pulls back the shade and allows us to peer into eternity and to have an experience that is supernatural, that we can understand there's a language in heaven that's being spoken that he can deposit in us, yet we might not have the understanding of it. Everything we discuss there, and and, and that's basically my understanding of how this works, but everything that we've discussed there is for private use only. You know, Paul does say that I'd rather you speak very few words in your understanding than a ton of words in tongues, because if you speak all 10,000 words in tongues in a public setting, no one's gonna know what you're talking about. He also goes on to say that all these people in this public setting are gonna think you're foolish. They're gonna think you're crazy because they don't understand you. He said it doesn't edify, it doesn't build anybody up, and that's true. He wasn't talking about if there's a bunch of believers that get together and they have the same context or understanding that you shouldn't speak in tongues around each other. He's saying, listen, know who's around. If there's folks that are around that are not of the same vantage point that you are, if there's folks around that haven't had the same experience, cut that stuff off and don't go crazy. So what we're not going to do, what I'm not going to do here today is say, okay, everybody come forward. I'm going to lay hands on you. You're all going to walk out here speaking in tongues. (laughs) Gotcha. You know, we're not going to make you eat a live chicken. Not on your first visit, maybe later. But the point is that we want people to understand the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit to such a degree that they're open to all of the experiences that God gives to the Holy Spirit. Now, I've given my biblical definition of why I think this is applicable for today. You can agree with me or not, I don't care. That's between you and Jesus. But the Bible does say this in regards to the spiritual gifts that every spiritual gift we should fervently seek after. I'll go into more detail next week about this. But that's to say this, that if you don't experience something in the spiritual gift realm, that we're supposed to fervently seek it. So that if I come to God and I understand that my brother over here is experiencing the gift of prophecy and I have it, it's the right thing for me to say, dad, nope, no, 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 you gave him a gift. It's cool, I want that one. And then, when I experience something and my sister doesn't, it's the right thing for her to look at my life and say, You know what? He's experienced a word of knowledge and I have it. God, I want that. God, give me that gift. Now, He's sovereign. He does what he does when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it. Every time a person is motivated to pray in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit speaks through them, it's a sovereign moment. There have been movements who have lost the idea of God's sovereignty through the gifts and through speaking in tongues. They've said, well, I turn it on, turn it off when I want to. No, you can't. You can't do it without being motivated by the Holy Spirit. I believe most people are motivated a lot but you still can't do it without being motivated by the Holy Spirit. Don't take God out of the equation because then you are just babbling. God has to be a part of it. Now for my own life, this experience happened to me at 10 years old. I was at a a church camp retreat and the preacher was fiery, man, and and he makes me look like a, a passive speaker. This guy was just going nuts. He was all over the place and he was shouting and screaming about how you need to receive the Holy Spirit, you need to speak in tongues. And I'm like, I'm not so sure about that. And kids were lining up and they're getting prayed for and knocked down and roll on the ground and all kinds of great craziness was happening. And I thought, you know what? I'm gonna hold off on that for a minute. I went the next day and was sitting by myself on a swing, reviewing the message that I had heard in my brain, my heart, And I said, God, if this is you, I want it. I want the Holy Spirit. I want the full expression of the Holy Spirit. If this is you, I want it. But if it's not you, I don't want anything to do with it. And I remember sitting there and like a calm reaction to something awesome, right? You know how you get that calm reaction? Like you kind of get up slowly, like this is gonna be great, but you don't just go crazy. Like that calm reaction to something amazing happening, my life started to change, and, and I could feel something in, inside start to want to get out. And I started to speak, and the words that came out I didn't understand. They weren't my words, but they was my mouth, and it didn't make sense to me. And I remember walking away thinking, okay, that was cool, and interesting, but maybe it was just fake, and it was just, you know, just I heard somebody say something in the night before, and it's just not real. And then the next day, it kind of came up the same way and it started coming out a little bit. And nobody forced me, you know, laid hands on me. Nobody said, say this word 17 times, who untied my bow tie, who stole my Honda. You know, nobody said that, you know, repeat these phrases a million times. Nobody held me down and poured oil on my head and said, okay, now you're anointed, hallelujah, speaking tongues. It didn't happen that way. It was calm. It was actually a little bit restrained. It was the Holy Spirit in his timing and in his will with my will involved, doing what God had called me to, and a gift that I am able to experience from that time on. Now, I will say this, this doesn't happen to everybody. In fact, Paul says, we'll all pray in tongues. In a rhetorical question, he's like, is everybody gonna pray in tongues? And the answer is obviously, well, no. So I don't, I don't know that it happens for everybody, and I don't know the reason. I'm not gonna sit up here and tell you, it's because you don't have any faith, hallelujah. I'm not gonna sit up here and tell you that everyone's gonna have every experience, but I know this, that God said that we should fervently seek the gifts. Listen, if God said you should fervently seek the gifts, he wants to be like Oprah. You get a gift, you get a gift, you get a gift. Now we don't get to control exactly how that happens, but he's dispensing the gifts to his people, and we are to fervently seek all the gifts. So if something doesn't happen in your life, it's not an excuse to say, well, it's never gonna happen. No. That's for you to fervently seek after what another is experiencing, what your brother or sister is experiencing. And say, God, I want that. And how he gives and how he dispenses is in his timing and trust him in it because it'll happen for you. Let me get back to my notes real quick. That an action, that it might be a personal moment doesn't mean that it's always done in complete secret, right? We've also got a group of people that have said, this whole thing of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues is so private, you don't really tell anybody, don't, you're really like a closet speaker and tonguer kind of person. You keep it to yourself, don't let anyone know, they're gonna think you're crazy. And some people will, that's okay. Some of you might think right now, that dude's nuts. Everything he just described is craziness. I'm not coming back. Maybe, maybe that's you. But but to be honest, are we willing to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life in a supernatural way? See, here's the the question we have to ask ourselves. Everything that we talked about today is essentially very personal. It's a very personal gift that God wants to give to us, very personal to us. It might be private, and most of the time it's kept private. You might let it out a little bit. You might let others know that this is your experience with God, but it's, it's not something we shout about from the rooftops, but it's definitely something we use as our, as our, in, in, our, in our spiritual life to gain ground and to pray as, as God would motivate us. However, however, we all have to be open to the supernatural, See, here's the problem. Sometimes we want to be open to the supernatural in one area, but not another. God, move supernaturally to show my idiot boss that I need a promotion. Hallelujah. (laughs) And then we don't want to believe on the other side. God, do the supernatural things that you show in Scripture. No, no, keep that for somebody else. But that boss, yeah, move on him. We have to come to a place where we we lay the cards flat and it's all even, and that anything that we ask of God that's supernatural, that it can happen in our life because we're open to the supernatural at every level, at every paradigm, at every moment. That we're not just reserved for what looks good to the public that's supernatural, but we're open to God moving in our life supernatural in ways that we might not even understand, including the idea of speaking in tongues. I hope I didn't scare anybody. I hope I didn't mess with your theology too much. I hope I didn't put you off too much because again, we don't have to be twins to be brothers. And if you disagree with me, that's fine. But the Holy Spirit still wants to move in your life. If you've never experienced this idea of first the Holy Spirit coming on you, yielding yourself to the life of the Holy Spirit within you. If that's never been your experience, come up front after service. There'll be folks to pray with you. You can go down this hallway and the second door to the right, there's a prayer care room. Folks will pray with you there. And also, if you've never experienced and you, you, you've, you've just come to terms, okay, it's in the Bible. God says it can be mine. I want that. Come up for prayer. Somebody will pray with you. They'll explain it a little more than I did. And they'll pray with you and believe God with you that that, that, that gift is deposited into your life. Something might happen instantly or nothing at all. We're not God, we're not sovereign. We don't get to decide, we get to pray and agree with you. We get to fervently seek the gifts with you. That's our goal when we pray with you. See, our goal when we pray with you is not God as a genie in a magic lamp that we rub and he answers us instantly. Our goal when we pray with you is to fervently seek the promises of God, that whatever he said to be true for us, that whatever he said to be true gifts that he wants to give to his children, that we will fervently believe with you He still has to move. Here's the deal, he always moves. Maybe different than we understand, maybe different than we've anticipated. He always moves. So this morning, if that's not your experience, come forward. Excuse me, and we'd like to pray with you. But before you go and before we end the service, you know, today I was putting this jacket on and uh, I asked my son, I said, does this make jacket make me look fat? He said, no, your face does. I was like, that's not, that's not nice. Um, and he, he is getting to be a little smart Alec. so I had to curb his little attitude. Um, but we have moments in life where we go to God And we say, God, give me this gift. And God gives us something, clothes us in it, right? And then we go to trusted friends and we go, does this make me look crazy? And they're like, you were crazy before. Like the problem. Quit trying, quit trying to gauge your life by what others see out of you as your expression of God, your expression of the Holy Spirit. Quit trying to do that. Because all that does is put you, put you off from what God really has for you. All that does is, is put you in an arena where, where God can't really overtake and apprehend you. See, if I listened to my little son today, my, my little three-year-old, if I listened to him when he said that, I would have never worn this jacket. Maybe it does make me look fat. I don't know. Maybe it is just my face. But the, the problem is, I would have I could have carried that baggage. The three-year-old said I look fat. And so many of us do that with our spiritual life. Well, so and so said this doesn't work for today. Or so and so said we shouldn't even ask about healing. Or so and so, this friend of mine, this trusted voice. No, no, no. What's God doing in your life? Let him do what he's going to do and back it up with the scripture. Go and ask somebody and connect with the scripture. Sure, we need to do that. But don't let someone's overpowering opinion change your direction for what God has for you. I forgot to talk about this in the last service, and I'm, I'm sad that I did. But we often allow these subtle voices around us to manipulate the Holy Spirit in our life, to manipulate his course in our life, to manipulate what he's doing because we're so frail in our thinking and we don't wanna be put in that group or we don't wanna be put off by this friend or we don't wanna lose the connection we have with that person. No, whatever God's doing, let him do it. And if you need to keep quiet about it for a while, keep quiet, but let him do it. Let him, let him get on the inside of you and inspire you and empower you and change your life. Let him work on the inside of you because eventually it's gonna to come to an impasse where you can't hold it in anymore and you won't care because your experiences with God will be so deep and so great. Every every negative word will be worth it because of the experience you'll have with him. I remember when I, when I first tell that story about being, baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. I remember going to lunch with my mom after camp, and 10 years old, you know, she's asking me, how was camp, I'm like, it was awesome, we had jet skis. You know, and she's like, well, there was a spiritual component, like, how was that? And I'm like, it was cool, the guy talked a lot. They had a lot of altar calls, and, and we were sitting there eating at the McDonald's here in Moline, and, and I said, yeah, and I, and I think I speak in tongues now, and she's like welling up in tears, like crying, and you're like, oh, mom's do. And, I'm sure when my kids have that spiritual moment, I'll be overtaken with emotion and cry as well. But if you're going to tell somebody, if you're gonna tell someone your experience, get to someone who really loves you, who's really connected with you, wants the best for your spiritual life, who's not gonna judge you and tell them in confidence, hey, I've had this experience, it's changing my life. They'll be there for you. They'll be like that mom that gets a little tear well in their eye says, you know what? Go for all God has for you. That's the kind of life that we want to leave, that we want to lead, is where we are so impacted by the Spirit that as we start to let it out in our everyday life, that it's not just accepted, but it's approved of, that God is moving in our life in a supernatural way.